Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. Today, we are going to be beginning Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible handy, please open up to it while we cover a little bit of what we were talking about last week. Going throughout Romans chapter 7, it comes through the text that we are sinners, even if we're saved. The phrase simul justus et peccator, simultaneously just or righteous and sinner, saint and sinner, we hear that all the time. That comes from Romans chapter 7, because our flesh has sin dwelling in it. Well, at the same time, we understand there is a big core change that happens to us at our baptism and when the Holy Spirit starts dwelling in us, there's a big change to where that sin that you commit, that you struggle with, that you have to fight your whole life, that's not you anymore. So St. Paul sums everything up in the last verse, in verse 25 of chapter 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It is how the Christian walks and moves forward in the process of sanctification. With all of that said, with that background of Romans chapter 7, we start here with our section in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And we find ourselves a little bit confused here through this language. It seems like St. Paul, his writing kind of takes the tack of spirals. It feels like he's spinning around, going back to the same thing, sometimes going in a different direction. Let's make sense of all of this. First he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation is the death sentence that we all deserve as sinners. If that sin that you commit, if that's not really you, that's not your core person, if that's not coming from the very core of your being, then our God is not going to call you a 
sinner. Yes, we sin and we confess as good Lutherans that we are poor, miserable sinners. But when God looks at you through those Jesus-tinted glasses, the condemnation that we clearly do deserve on part of our sins, well, that's wiped away, if indeed you are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a popular verse. We see it on bumper stickers. We see people with terrible pasts that uh, maybe they converted to Christianity, but whenever somebody brings up some messed up stuff that they've done, well, they throw this verse out there. Even if they're still doing messed up stuff. They're like, well, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't talk to me. <laughs> you can't condemn me. You can't even judge me. I'm fine. I don't think that's what St. Paul is getting at here. Obviously, yes, the very, very, very good news here is that you do not have to go to hell on account of your sins. This is wonderful news and we celebrate it. But that's not all that St. Paul says here in the pericope. He explains himself in verse 2, for, so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for or because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We see the law of sin in the last verse of Romans chapter 7. I serve the law of sin that's in my flesh. But I'm free from it because of the law of the spirit of life. Well, what on earth do we mean by the law of the spirit of life? Well, in chapter 7, St. Paul goes over the law of sin and death as a principle. Not necessarily the law of God, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, everything like that. That's the capital L law that we know of. But when he talks about a law of sin... It's the principle that sin dwells in our flesh, wars against righteousness, and wars against us when we don't want to sin. It inspires more evil acts or omissions on our part whenever it hears the commandments of God. So, the law of the spirit of life, that law is a principle that the Holy Spirit also dwells in me, having inspired faith in me, having brought me to salvation, and also, in the process of sanctification, urges me towards good works. He urges me towards sanctification. He wants me to be a better person. So when we see here, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death, this means that the Holy Spirit is the one who, knowing that Jesus died for your sins, he comes to you, and he is not the counterbalance to sin, like you have a little devil on your shoulder telling you to sin, and you have a little angel on your shoulder telling you to do the right thing. No, this isn't an equal party sort of thing. The Holy Spirit is in charge. He is the one who has made sure that this sin that rises up from our flesh, from our old Adam, is defeated. It can no longer serve its purpose of causing us to die to God. It can no longer be responsible for us going to hell. Because the Spirit is making sure that that is not going to happen. This is why in Ephesians, St. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the seal or the guarantee, the guarantor of our salvation. He is there 
making sure that you're justified, making sure that your faith is a saving faith when you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for your eternal life, everything. Now, does this mean that I'm supporting once saved, always saved? No, because it's really, so far as it depends on God, your salvation is guaranteed if you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. Can somebody decide they want to let go of that? Well, unfortunately, yes. So don't. (laughs) Stick with Christ. Stay with him in the preservation of your faith that he gives us through word and sacrament. But we continue on. So there's this law or principle of sin and death that is defeated, that we are set free from in the Holy Spirit's work, the law of the spirit of life. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Well, what can't the law do? And why is it, quote-unquote, weakened? And here we do see the law being used as, capital L, the Ten Commandments, God's holy will for your life. How is that weakened? Well, I wouldn't say that it itself is weakened, but the ability of it to actually save anybody through cooperation and obedience to it isn't there anymore. We cannot, by our own power, follow all the dictates of the law. There's no way. We just can't. So if the original purpose of the law to lead us in righteousness and obedience to God cannot actually happen, if that is hamstrung by our own sins, then if God wants to accomplish that purpose for leading us in righteousness, for getting us closer to him, then the only way he's going to do that is through Christ. The rest of verse 3 kind of opens this up. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, we're going to get to that last part in a little bit here, but Jesus Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Remember, he took your sin. That's not your sin anymore. Just like it's not you anymore when you really do commit a sin, whether that's through negligence or from actively sinning, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not you ever since your baptism. But Jesus still took all of those sins. He took all the sins of the world straight onto the cross. And as he was nailed to the cross, all of the sins of the world were nailed right there with him. He condemns it the same way he was condemned, with the exception that condemning sin is just, condemning Christ is not. So Jesus took all of that for us. The requirement of the law is death for sin, and Christ died on behalf of us so that that requirement is fulfilled. Furthermore, Christ never sinned. Jesus Christ already fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. So if we are in Christ, then his righteousness, his requirement fulfilling, so to speak, is imputed onto us. That is called imputed righteousness. But St. Paul does add a qualifier. 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. His explanation might worry us a little here. Because the moment somebody brings up verse 1 on their bumper sticker or in their testimony or in an argument where somebody says, hey, you cut me off in traffic, and they go, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus, so like, deal with it, bro. I'm, I'm guilt-free. You can't hurt me. I'm free because of Jesus, so I can like run over your cat if I want to. It's okay. Obviously, we spent forever going against the sin willy-nilly party here. St. Paul is not saying that in verse 1, and he qualifies it. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But does that mean that suddenly the guy who said we are not justified by our works or by the works of the law, is he adding works to the plan of salvation? Is St. Paul in agreement with Pope Leo? (laughs) Is he a Tridentine Latin mass Catholic? Was this a first century Latin speaking dude here? Uh, No. He says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, St. Paul here, when he says in verse 25, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is not about your works. This is about your disposition. Who or what do you put your faith in? That means that it's not about their works. It's about their loyalty. It is about their worship. And if they go about according to their flesh, they are saying sin has dominion over them. This is an unregenerate person. Somebody who lives according to the Spirit, however, is regenerate because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells in them. This is not about works here. St. Paul is saying, if indeed you are a Christian, then yes, Jesus Christ is there with the Father looking at him saying, ah yes, this believer is righteous on account of Jesus Christ being righteous for him. You are free from the law's death sentence on you. But if your mind is in submission to the flesh, then how can you say you are saved? You are trusting in your sin and everything sin inspires in you for all of your good. He says to set the mind on the flesh, verse 6, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Note here in verse 6, to set. To set, that is an infinitive in the English, but it's not there in the Greek. In the Greek, it reads, for the mind on the flesh is death, but the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Don't think that this verse is saying, you have to set your mind on the spirit or else you will die. Do, 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 be, 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 if if you're going to be saved, you really have to turn your faith into a work here as though you have to be worried Am I setting my mind on the flesh? No, it's not about that. Surely we do not want to sin all willy-nilly. 
And we do want to follow what the Holy Spirit is inspiring in our hearts and do the right thing. But if I mess up and sin, that does not mean that according to St. Paul, I have set my mind on the flesh. That's not what St. Paul is getting on here. The mind on the flesh is already set there. Somebody is going to set the mind on the flesh or the spirit. And St. Paul is not saying here that you are the one that set it there. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the main actor in our conversion. God, using the means of his word, as we will see in chapter 10, he is the one doing the work of conversion and inspiring faith in us. Even if you were converted as a little wee bitty baby, <laughs> the moment of your baptism, it's not us, it's not our mind being put on the spirit here that we have to do that. This is, I'm trying to encourage you here because this passage is easily misunderstood. So we continue on here. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. If you ever wonder, is my mind set on the flesh? Ask yourself, am I hostile to God? And it says it does not submit to God's law. Do you personally rebel against God's commandments? You hear Jesus tell you to do something and you're like, no, I don't want to. No, your flesh says that. But remember, that's not you if you are a baptized believer. That is your old Adam trying to say that. So if I'm ever worried, am I set on the flesh? Oh, don't. It's a simple question you have to ask yourself. In fact, the next verse reifies this. It confirms it in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Well, ask yourself, does the Bible say the Holy Spirit dwells within me? Hmm. Well, that happens at baptism. So I'm baptized, therefore the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells in me. I don't have to worry about whether or not my mind is set on the flesh and I have a new death sentence of hell and eternal torment put on me. Another interesting thing to note about this verse, just a little bit of an aside here. Why do Lutherans affirm the Filioque? Well, the Filioque is part of the Nicene Creed. It means, and the Son. You know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Why do we Lutherans believe in that? Obviously, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, when they added that word, filioque, to the Nicene Creed, it caused uh, the backdrop for the Great Schism, East and West splitting, because the Eastern Orthodox Churches said, you do not have the authority to add that to the Creed, whether or not you are correct. Meanwhile, the Roman Catholic Church said, it's the truth, it's biblical, and by the way, the Pope is the head of the church, is able to do this unilaterally. When it comes to Lutherans, well, we are in the Western Christian tradition here, and so we did inherit a creed with filioque in it. The reason we affirm it is that it's biblical. If the Spirit of God is also the Spirit of Christ, of Christ, then the procession of the Holy Spirit is intertwined with both the Father and the Son. He is not the Spirit of Christ if he does not proceed from Christ, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, in addition to the Father, the first person of the Trinity. 
we affirm this because it's biblical. It's just the truth, and I'm not really going to waste time on whether or not there was a process crime involved in that addition to the Nicene Creed. I think it's important enough to where, yes, we need to have this in the creed because it is not only true, it paints the full picture of the procession of the Holy Spirit because he is called the Spirit of Christ. But I digress. Next verse. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And he restates it, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, because of my sin that does dwell in me, in my flesh, because of my old Adam, this body is going to die. That's not going to change. It's almost like St. Paul was asked, hey, if Jesus saves me and promises me eternal life, how come Christians die? Well, this answers that question. Why do Christians die? Because sin still dwells within our flesh. The old Adam is still there, so of course our body is going to have to die. But because Jesus dwells in us and because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then, hey, that's okay. I can look forward to the resurrection and to eternal life from there. Now, I think we're going to have to cut this a little short because uh, my kid got here from the dog park and there's all sorts of noise and stuff attached from uh, kids with the attention span of gnats. But let's go ahead and summarize everything that we've been hearing. We are not condemned anymore. Our bodies still die because of the sin in our flesh. But the law of sin, the law of sin and death, no longer has dominion over us. It does not determine our ultimate fate because the indwelling Holy Spirit has guaranteed our salvation as we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And if you're ever worried that you're walking by the flesh and therefore deserving of all the condemnation and death and hell and wrath that that entails, all you have to do is ask, does the Holy Spirit dwell within me? Do I still have faith in Jesus? Do I still want to obey him submitting to his commandments? Have I been baptized? And if you can answer these questions with yes, then you don't have to worry. God has declared that you're walking by the Spirit. You do not have to be obsessed with every little action you commit. Obviously, we do repent of our sins every day. We do ask for forgiveness, and we do want to take a little bit of that ownership over our part in sanctification. But that does not mean that my eternal fate is determined by whether or not I just thought about how hungry I was all the time and oh how fleshly I am and I ate too many donuts and oh no I told a lie does this mean that I'm going to hell no Jesus died for those sins you are still forgiven for that oh penitent believer and we rejoice in these promises these precious promises that God is giving us through passages like this but please don't turn it into a bumper sticker Let's not have that kind of bumper sticker mentality of like, haha, because there's no condemnation for me. I can cheat on my taxes and you can't judge me for it because God's not judging me for it. Let's not be like that. 
We ain't willy-nilly people, right? Amen and amen.